Today, Annie Corrigan tells the story of a poem in three stanzas. First, we meet activist and educator Alexandria Hollett and follow her to the top of a picnic table, the scene of her first original poetry performance. Next, we share that poem, Blessed Are the Persecuted, an open letter to the Indiana legislature. Finally, we trace the path of the sheet of paper Hollett was reading from, all the way to the Indiana State Museum. Annie Corrigan takes us on a journey that transforms an academic and activist into an artist, and a scrap of paper into a historical artifact. Alexandria Hollett describes herself like this. As a poet, I'm an academic, I'm an activist, I'm an educator, all rolled into one, and I never want to let any of those identities go. She can pinpoint the moment when those identities coalesced. It was March 31st, 2015. She was one of about 200 people gathered at Bloomington's Karst Farm Park, protesting Indiana's Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which had been signed into law by Governor Mike Pence just five days earlier. She was scheduled to perform her poem toward the end of the rally. In an ideal world, she would have had it memorized, but this piece had to be fast-tracked, so she was clutching a piece of paper with some notes on it. It was crumpled. It was like there were so many marks all over it. I had written and rewritten this poem. It was (laughs) sweat-stained. Her stage was a picnic table. I felt as if I was going to throw up. I could not pay attention to anything that anyone else was saying. My hands were literally shaking, and I blacked out. (laughs) This moment was a lifetime in the making, starting in Plymouth, Indiana. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. You know, I went to church every single Sunday with my family. Never missed. She was a theater kid. And then in high school, it was speech team. It was a lot of rigor. I mean, it's super nerdy to talk about this, but if you are a part of a creative community and you want to learn how to perform for an audience, you need to find someone like the coaches that I had in speech. She learned the little things, like pausing before you start speaking to make sure the audience is with you. And she learned the big things, like how to research and write persuasive pieces. Then it was off to Indiana University. And there were a lot of people telling me about practicality and what I should be doing in terms of making money later on. She had her eye on being a teacher, so she studied English, Spanish, and Italian. She found her way to Chicago to teach sixth grade. She created a poetry unit for that class. And she also served as her school's union delegate during the Chicago teachers' strike of 2012. Once you see injustice, you can't unsee it. I want to help other people get to that place of critical consciousness where they are able to feel empowered enough to make a change. And then in 2014, it was on to the next. I came back to IU to do a doctoral program, and I thought I was going to be a professor and a researcher, and now this is complicating that narrative. Alexandria Hollett came to slam poetry late in life. Well, she says 30 feels old when most everyone else is in their early 20s. And while many slam poets are in a club or they compete as part of a team, her introduction to it all was in a class called Hip Hop Literacies. And so this was actually an assignment for me where I had to talk about who I was as a researcher. And I signed up to do this particular project way early on in the semester, not knowing that this was going to coincide with what was happening with RIFRA. 
the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. She followed the whole discussion from when the Indiana Senate passed the bill in February 2015 to when it was up for a vote in the House in late March. Governor Mike Pence signed it into law on a Thursday. At that moment, her idea about the assignment shifted. As with anything academic, she started with the research. It's a lot of wading through stuff that is kind of traumatizing in a certain way, perspectives that make me (laughs) feel really badly about where we're at in the world. Then I balance it out with people who are much smarter than me weighing in on the situation and trying to piece together how I can form a bridge between these two conversations. Her first iteration of the piece was basically an op-ed. If I was writing something for a newspaper, it would be fine. But this has to also be art, right? She keeps three mantras in mind as she's writing. Show, don't tell. Kill your darlings. And then the other is, um, art is not a mirror with which to see the world, but a hammer with which to shape it. And I try to abide by that mentality in terms of bringing activism back into the work itself. After two days of researching, writing, editing, and reflecting on her own religious upbringing, she stood in front of her class and performed her poem. And it went great. The next day was that rally in Bloomington to protest Rifra. So she signed up to read the poem, her first performance in over 10 years, the first time ever performing one of her own pieces, and all of that in front of a group of strangers. I have embodied characters, and I have told somebody else's story and told somebody else's truth and acted that out. This is, you're naked, right? This is you completely. It's not only your performance and how you are in front of other humans, it's you, your mind, your heart, what you believe in, putting it all out there for people to love or hate or not care about at all. And that is a vulnerable position to be in. As Alexandria Hollett stepped off the picnic table at Bloomington's Karst Farm Park, a curator from the Indiana State Museum and Historic Sites approached her. He wanted her poem for their collection. We continue the story with Annie Corrigan to find out about the way museums are collecting today in order to more accurately represent history tomorrow. David Buchanan was at the rally in Bloomington in March of 2015. I will shamelessly say I tend to eavesdrop on conversations as I'm uh, walking through the crowd. Most of the time he listens for a bit and then moves on. He's trying to get a feel for why people are there. He's also looking for handmade signs, buttons, and flyers. He wants items that come with personal stories. And when he sees something interesting, he approaches. I walk up and say, hi, I'm from the Indiana State Museum and Historic Sites. Do you you have a moment. I'm, I'm interested in your story and, you know, maybe even trying to acquire that whatever you have in your hand. It, when people, when you approach people like that, it's like, what? Because <laughs> they really can't imagine. I think for the most part, people don't think of themselves as historical. Buchanan says typically he collects signs, but then there was Alexandria Hollett's contribution to the rally. While standing in the crowd, I heard Alexandria stand up because there was a lot of speakers that day. And she said, I wrote this poem to give to the state legislators. And I thought, well, that's a little bit different. Alexandria agreed to donate the piece of paper the poem was written on to the museum. Buchanan then gave it to Mary Jane Teeters Eyehawker, curator of social history at the Indiana State Museum. I'm responsible for the history that is 
I guess you'd call it everyday history. The museum made a conscious decision in spring 2015 to attend events and actively collect items from Indiana's conversation about LGBT rights. Teeter's Eyehawker says it's common practice these days for historical museums to be proactive when it comes to collecting artifacts connected to social issues. But that wasn't always the case. And certainly when I started in the, in the field in the 1970s, um, you, were, you were kind of told... Um, don't collect anything until about 25 years has passed, and that will allow you to determine what's important and what's not. Well, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. The difficulty in getting materials like this exponentially increases with the passage of time because so much of it is ephemeral. It's paper. It's an outfit that goes out of style. Take the women's suffrage movement, she says. The Indiana State Museum was founded in 1869, so curators could have collected artifacts all the way through September 1921, which was the first election in which women were allowed to vote in Indiana. But since they didn't, curators have been playing catch-up ever since. We have pro- and anti-suffrage button um, postcards. We have a hat band that says votes for women. Most of the items were donated to the museum. In an effort to present a more balanced perspective on the issue, she bought an item for the collection. It's a mass-produced anti-suffrage plate. A note on the back says, compliments of M.S. Lane, the clothier, Frankfurt, Indiana. And quite frequently, materials obtained that way have lost their story. Even donors tend to not know the personal stories behind the items they found, say, in their attics. And when it comes to contentious social movements, she says you need the stories. The stories connect you to the people. And learning about people makes it easier to understand perspectives different from your own. That's something Teeter's Eyehawker continues to struggle with herself. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's really hard. And it's almost impossible for me, you, with, with something like a, a, a suffrage exhibit, presenting a rational anti-suffrage <laughs> argument um, is, is it's terribly hard. And that's why we need the objects. And its story allows you to present decide that you don't agree with in a more balanced way. For WFIU Arts, I'm Annie Corrigan. Alexandria Hollett will be performing her poetry today at 1 p.m. She'll be at the Spoken Word stage at the 4th Street Festival of Arts and Crafts. You can find details at wfiu.org arts.